0: Hey, it's Doug here. Just wanted to pop in before the episode. This one was recorded live at FinCon in New Orleans. And I sit down and chat with Jason. Just want to let you know, there's some background noise. I recorded this with Jason in the expo hall. So there's you know thousand people in the giant room. It's the place where all the companies are set up with their booths. And typically, they'll have a video booth, like we were sitting in, and podcast booths, kind of set off in the corner. And the cool thing is, those are sponsored by some company that has, uh, you know, a vested interest. Like the podcast booth is uh, sponsored by a guy named Steve Stewart, right? So he has like a podcast editing and production company. So he has all the equipment. He sets it up. He's a good guy, and we're able to just sign up and record there. So typically when I go to these conferences, I'll sign up for at least one podcast session and one video session as well. And, you know, take advantage of the fact that there's a a whole lot of people around that typically are all not all together. So anyway, I was able to sit down with Jason. We talk about the keyword golden ratio in 2023, some of the pros and cons with the KGR and because I signed up for a booth, this is kind of a, a shorter episode, and there's less, uh, there's fewer tangents overall. Jason and I, we hung out all uh, week long or all weekend long in New Orleans, had some lunch together, and just had some drinks and and, and went out. And if you listen to the last episode, you know that I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the in-person events, so. This kind of goes to show, like, if, if you show up, like, you can make some really great connections. Let's get to the episode now. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and today we are recording live here at FinCon. So it's uh, October, we're in New Orleans, and I'm hanging out with my friend Jason. And we're going to talk KGR stuff and some, I guess, details about FinCon also. So Jason, how's it going today? Going
1: good, thanks, Doug.
0: You haven't been on the show before, but we've emailed for years, so I feel like I kind of know you a little bit. We've hung out a lot in the last few days, but can you do an intro about you know what you do so full-time, very brief, and then like why you are here, and we'll, we'll unpack it, but a little intro on yourself.
1: Excellent, thanks. Um, Yes, so my day job is actually on a fintech, with a fintech firm. I uh, actually, career has been in the trading, institutional trading and finance space. So I've been aware of FinCon for a long time. Uh, Big consumer of some of these uh, Finfluencer types. Uh, But for many of these years, I've been also building content sites, niche sites. And uh, I think I started, Started watching you maybe five or six years ago, okay, and listening to your podcast. And uh, well, you know your no bullshit style is uh, yeah, it's, it resonates with me. So I kept listening. Awesome,
0: thank you, thank you. Yeah, like I said, I feel like we've exchanged a lot of emails in the past. So, did you get started with niche sites like five or six years ago, or when were your first sites? What was your introduction?
1: My first website was in 1997, Doug. The,
0: the early, early days, okay.
1: Very early, yeah, yeah. And I did it off and on uh, uh, from there, sometimes for uh, maybe a startup that that I was working on, or for a day job company that I was working for. Uh, so to that degree, I guess I was in-house in house okay. in in a way. Uh, but I've also been building, you know, content sites as side projects along the way as well.
0: So when did you start those side projects for like niche sites as we know them these days? In
1: earnest, I would say, yeah, four or five years ago. That's when I started building my current uh, small portfolio of sites. Uh, The the few that I have um, that I directly manage uh, solo uh, are on the smaller side. Got a couple that I'm involved in uh, with partners. They're sort of the face of the sites. They've got sort of in real life qualifications. And then I'm um, invested in one significantly larger site, not doing any operations on it. Either.
0: Got it. Okay. So, how many sites do you own and run solo? And then how many do you have like partners and stuff?
1: Uh, I'd say three solo, two others with partners.
0: Okay. So about five, or five total. Correct. For the the three. When did you start them? Can you talk about like some of the history with those three sites? Yeah.
1: So started them um, a lot longer ago than the current traffic would suggest because <laughs> the day job and all, you know, and uh, shiny object syndrome. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a victim or I'm exposed to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd say I started those four or five years ago. I've got a brand new site actually that I just started as well. As I mentioned to you the other day, uh, I jumped into Spencer Haw's AI site Challenge, so just started up a new recent one. So again, shiny objects in
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, funny enough, so FinCon's great. Spencer, like I could see him, he's right over there. I see him uh, in his booth. First time I met Spencer, um, even though we've known each other for maybe about a decade, which is crazy, just online. Um, but yeah, first time I met Spencer here. So awesome! Um, that brings us to you know why you're at FinCon. So part part of it, you said you know you're in the finance industry, so like you're you're aware of the companies, but like yeah. you haven't been before. So maybe like the vibe here is a little bit different than the kind of conference you would normally attend for. Absolutely. So yeah, why are you here in New Orleans?
1: Yeah, well, to meet a few folks that I've uh, known for a long time, but never met in person. Uh, which has been awesome. And I met people I didn't even expect were going to be here. So that's been great. Um, and yeah, there's a couple of startups here that are uh, not too far afield from stuff that I'm currently involved in. So I was aware that they were going to be, uh, they had booths there. Uh, just uh, to do the FinCon thing, you know, it's almost like that uh, trip to Mecca, you know, if you're in the <laughs> space. It's, uh, uh, and it was in New, New Orleans, so it moves around every year. But when I saw it was in New Orleans, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm pulling the trigger. Cool.
0: Yeah, and you, uh, I think you emailed me, whatever, six or eight months ago just that's to right. double check. Um, yeah, and I bought my ticket like way back. It is, I've, I've only been th- to three of them, this one included. And I have a ton of friends. I probably have like 50 friends. I might see them one or two other times during the year, but... Yeah, these conferences are really cool, and we—I talk about it often. And I'm—I'm actually bad with like forums and communities; I just don't participate. This is like what I do instead, Mm. and uh, it's—I mean, it's—it serves a different purpose. But this is a lot of fun, and you really—I mean, if you know a couple people, right, you get introduced to like 50 more, and then you see them the next year, and you—if you just go like two or three years, like you—you will know a ton of people. Now, the other thing is you're you're in the space, like you follow along with some of the financial independence uh, bloggers and podcasts as well. So can you talk about that? Like, how'd you get exposed to that side of the blog? So it's
1: interesting. I'm uh, It's like the cobbler needs new shoes thing. So I've been in the finance industry for most of my career, but uh, didn't do uh, nearly as good a job with my retirement planning as I should have, Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So uh, despite... Having the golden handcuffs, probably because of, probably uh, yeah, the 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 comfortable paycheck from the industry that I'm in made me lazy, probably. And so I would say, again, five, maybe eight years ago, it started to uh, become clear that I needed to start doing some catch-up change. You know, the way I was managing my finances and whatnot. And so I think specifically I uh, started looking at retirement plans. And um, at that time, I also started to more actively um, uh, explore alternative investing and angel investing, things like that. For a lot of the time, I in my career, I was actually working for a large bank, and you're sort of limited in what you're permitted to do mm. outside of your job. Right. So, that's also just part of, an, partly an excuse, right? There was still <laughs> better planning I could have done. So, right. So, yeah, a lot of the folks that I looked at um, uh, were were focused on, you know, just budgeting and retirement planning. Uh, interestingly, and I don't say it too loud here at FinCon, but you know I have my my reservations about the whole fire thing. So, but if you say it too loud in certain circles, you know you're, you're going to get yeah. stink eye. So
0: the we'll go on. I'm curious because I mean, like a lot of people do have reservations about it, and there's I think like in the in the beginning. So I'm like sort of newer to this world. Maybe like 2020 is when I started looking a little more closely. But yeah, there's a big contrast from like the earlier bloggers, like say twenty ten to twenty fifteen or so, maybe like the first generation of those mm. early retirement bloggers yeah, yeah, yeah. to where they're where they are now where it's like it's a it's a different it's a different priority set and a different set of goals. But yeah, what are your reservations about the fire portions? And financial independence retire early.
1: Uh, it's twofold, and they're probably interlinked. So, I mean, I think the the notion that you're meant to take this large percentage of your income and sock it away. F- first of all, the basics are great. You know, uh, invest conservatively and regularly and consistently. You know, do it mechanically. Don't pay too much attention to it. Index funds are fine. Uh, budgeting is great. Being frugal, even I'm a cheapskate. I'm down with all that stuff. That's fine, right? But most of the population of this country, and honestly, the world, they're never going to be in a position where they're making even enough money in the first place to take 50% or more and put it aside. So it, it's, uh, it's like a self-selecting thing. So that my first big complaint with it is it's fine for people that can afford to actually do it but if you're never in a position where you're making enough money in the first place then it's not an option. And so and and I think I think a lot of influencers sort of recognize this and so a lot of a lot of folks that are you know not exclusively in the fire space they'll talk about it but they'll also talk about side hustles and you know you know how to do part-time jobs and sort of income stacking and all of that. And that's great. And that's the way you do it. You kind of stair step into a place where you're making more money and you can save more. My other complaint about it is like the retire part, right? And and you and Carl have talked about this a lot and spot on because I think a lot of people, it's conceptually it's retiring, but it's not really. People, people don't want to stop doing things. They want to keep being productive. But I think um, there's folks at the other end who m- might have been able to put money aside when they were younger, maybe they had extra kids or they had medical conditions or whatever, but by the time they get to retirement age, even though they may have a decent retirement account, they're still not in a position where they can retire. And so I'm more of a retire never kind of guy, partly mm-hmm. because I just like to work, partly because I think most people uh, with with cost of living and everything are going to have to have extra income. Yeah. So those are the kind of the two related. Things.
0: Okay. I think... Those are valid. Those are weak points, though, but they're valid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
1: no, I, I think, like
0: so part of it, and we'll, we'll have just a little debate. Because, I, I mean, like, I, I, those are valid. The first point on, like, this this is really hard to do for most of the population, true. But there there's a huge number of people, even if it's, like, 5%, it's more than that. that can but I, still like, do it. They can do it. And Absolutely. it's like do you For them
1: it's yeah, yeah. For them do them you a create
0: option. a blog? Do you create content for everyone? Or do you like focus on like the audience? Absolutely the, true. The people I'm, that I'm
1: a niche down kind of yeah. guy. So valid point.
0: Yep. So it doesn't apply to everyone. The value <laughs> you okay. still get is like the 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 knowledge of what you you could do. So even right. if you don't save fifty percent, you save thirty percent instead. That's much better than 10%. And then if you look at the compound interest, I mean, it's going to shave a lot of time off. So even if you can't do it in, and by the way, the maturity of the sort of niche in the industry has shifted towards like, hey, don't sprint to try to retire early Mm. where you like hate your job, you hate your life, you're working too much versus like, why don't you just work a little longer? And find a job that you like better. And you the have the flexibility. The narrative has
1: evolved and changed Yeah, some. That's true. Yeah.
0: So a lot of my friends actually sprinted to retirement. And then they weren't happier when they stopped working. Right. So they had to figure out their other issues and problems. That's a great
1: problem to have, though. To yeah.
0: And then the other thing, yeah, 100%, like, most people don't retire. They just, like, they have flexibility to do less or work on projects that they want to. If you just sit around and do nothing, that's probably not the greatest move. People but are you better
1: off if you would have saved extra early on in life? You probably are. You right. Get, you still have to
0: yeah. Play. And there's a full spectrum. So anyway, valid points. But valid points. Too. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we just agree. Okay. So we will. I, I don't know if I emphasized it earlier. We will talk keyword golden ratio. So. Love it. I I need to refresh some of the videos. People still talk about the KGR but I haven't in a while. So Jason, you've been a good proponent for it and you've been looking at it more deeply. So actually I will let you, if you're up for it, define the KGR. We can link to other videos and stuff, but yeah, talk about
1: KGR. Happy to, because I love the keyword golden ratio. Thank you, Doug, for turning me onto it. So, because that was one of the first things that I actually uh, picked up from you uh, when I started watching. So, so maybe maybe because we're at VinCon we can like geek on some economics a little bit, some Please. economics theory. Okay. So the reason the keyword golden ratio is awesome is because it is this really simple, elegant formula for identifying imbalance. And what kind of imbalance are we talking about? It's supply and demand imbalance. And if people don't appreciate it, you know, supply and dem- the law of supply and demand is everywhere. I mean, people uh, think of it like it happens in the marketplace, maybe in the stock market, or during the pandemic, everyone wanted toilet paper and there was no toilet paper. The price of toilet paper goes up. You know, I mean, the truth is supply and demand dynamics are absolutely everywhere. Every complex system has them. And they very much uh, happen in the Google SERP so we know that when we put a keyword in as long as it's a word that that google even vaguely understands or a set of words they're going to give some results they have to give some results but when you take a closer look at what they give you start to realize that for every search term for the search intent the true search intent they don't necessarily have a, a large supply of pages that are truly targeting that keyword that search term or that search intent, but they still have to give you stuff. So what the keyword golden ratio does, in my view, is it helps you quickly identify if there are not enough uh, pages that are targeting that search intent, that are targeting that search term. And when there is a lack of supply of good pages targeting a keyword, that's an opportunity for us to step in and do a better page. and. Leap to the top of the rankings. Now, the way the keyword golden ratio works, uh, I I won't give you the the formula. You can put a card (laughs) or something—the thing you do. But uh, uh, the 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 way it basically works is it looks at search volume, and then it identifies pages targeting the keyword, and it does that by looking at the all in title. So traditionally. we were meant to go to Google and use a search operator, which is all in title colon, and then you put the keyword in. And that's, that search operator is a tool that Google gives us. They give us a bunch of search operators. Uh, but what that allows us to do is look for that keyword just in the title of the pages that are coming up in the results. And so by identifying how many all in title matches there are you have a rough but actually quite effective way of identifying the number of pages targeting the keyword. And when you look at the volume and you look at the number of pages targeting the keyword and you see that's a really short list and by the way, they're really crappy pages too, then you know you've got an opportunity to go attack that SERP. And that's why I love KGR because it's simple and it quickly identifies supply and demand imbalance.
0: Well said, well said. And I'm said. a
1: finance, getting numbers geek, so I so yeah. That's also why I love it.
0: And it's, it's very, it's a simple formula, and it's intended to be that way. So a lot of a lot of folks, especially early on, were trying to, you know, correct me, to critique the formula, which, right. which is fine, right? right? That's that's how things get better. Uh, but but basically, they wanted to add. More detail into the formula, and it gets complicated quick, and you lose people. And a quick analogy, because we are at FinCon, so for early retirement, a lot of people talk about the four percent rule, right? And you take your your annual expenses, you multiply it by twenty five, and that tells you your nest egg, which is the reciprocal of four percent rule, and right? So, anyway, the the point is, it's a very simple formula. It's not exactly right. But it's simple enough once someone figures out how much their annual expenses are, which most people don't know right off the bat, but once they figure that out and go through the exercise, they know if they're in the ballpark, very close to being able to retire early. So that's what KGR can do now. From you, you defined it really well. You've thought about it more recently than I have, so I'm glad it's uh, you know, we stay up late at these conferences too. Uh, quick, quick tangent. What, what'd you get up to last night? Did you go to bed earlier? What, what was your deal?
1: Uh, I was actually responsible last night because I wasn't the previous nights, but uh, yeah, no, I had dinner with some folks that I met, which was awesome. Cool, a couple of beers, and then back home. Okay,
0: smart, yeah, uh, about the same here. My my panel, my talk is tomorrow, so it's kind of the last thing I'm doing, so I have to be mature and be an adult this whole time so yeah, I had a, a couple things to do last night, but it was a nice dinner, but a few of us just like bailed early, some people were like, hey, we're getting one more round here and I was like, okay, I think we'll, we'll go and I almost felt bad to leave it was someone's birthday, but I was like, this will be better like other people have left it was close to midnight, so it's like okay, that's fair.
1: The one more round effect, <laughs> yeah. it happens. Yeah, it's like let's do a shot for the birthday and then
0: Yeah, <laughs> next thing you know, you know, you it's three AM and I've done that before and turns out I the hangovers last like three, four days now. It's bad. Okay.
1: It's a function of getting older. But we're not old. We're just yeah. old <laughs> <and dirty. laughs>
0: Back on track. So what are some of the issues that pop up with KGR, right? So it's simple. It's limited in a lot of ways, but for certain things, it's very good. And it's very good for brand new websites or people that are kind of getting started and they don't know how to prioritize the thousands of keywords they've looked at. So it can help you in those ways. But, yeah, what limitations have you found with either the KGR or the process?
1: Right. So, yeah, as I sort of alluded to earlier, uh, most of the sites I work on are, uh, unfortunately, (laughs) They're, they're still... You know, on the on the smaller end of the spectrum, but uh, there's there's so many long tail keywords, there's so many uh, uh, opportunities that are out there, and uh, I think that that's where the KGR uh, helps the most, right? So there's so there's a couple of things. So just specifically around the the 250 search volume threshold, uh, which is something that you 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 put into the equation, you put into the rule, but it's a good threshold, I think. I've uh, a lot of people have experimented with trying to use the KGR for search volumes over 250. And it's okay, and I think you've said that. You've given us all permission to, to use it for higher search volumes. But here again, I think there's, uh, if you just Google law of large numbers, you, you can get a sense statistically why there are, there are rules or laws or principles that work very effectively with smaller numbers and they do different things with large numbers. And again, you can see this manifest in different ways, but that's the case here too. So, if you're using KGR, you know, I use 260 for a very geeky little reason because most of the keyword tools, they get their search volume from Google. Google's API actually pushes the the search volume numbers out in buckets. And so, if you ever look at a large list of keywords in the search volumes, you'll see these sort of ladders. There isn't like a lot of graduation between, you know, it goes uh, zero to ten, and then ten to twenty, and right. then fifty, and so on. And so, if I include two sixty, I get like a few more keywords in my sure. in the mix. So I use two sixty instead of two fifty, but same principle. And uh, uh, but I but I think you know, as long as you're aware of it, like you were talking before about the four percent rule, you know. You, you want to know that you're sort of in the neighborhood. You're you're in the vicinity of on target. And I think it's the same with KGR. So you can use it for higher search volumes, but if you're going to try to do it on 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 search volume keywords, you're going to have more difficulty. The reason for that is not just because of the search volume. It's because at, at those bigger numbers, the competition is very different. And I believe that and it's just my theory, Google is also applying different criteria to try and filter out the competition on those bigger keywords. And then when you get into things like YMYL, I think even more so. They've got extra filters on top of those other ones. And so keep it simple, as you said, use it on smaller search volume keywords, and uh, I think you're you're golden. Uh, The other problem that uh, I discovered, sometime back, and I think most people who do the K- KGR have seen this, is that when you use the Google search operator, the all title search operator, you start to see that the results Google gives back using this tool uh, are often inaccurate. So you'll find things in the results that are not actual all title matches. And so the question then is like, if, if it's giving me eight results and I just take the number and say, okay, all-entitled is eight but actually four of them aren't even all title matches, well, then it's even more low-hanging fruit in a way. Then, presumably, there's even less supply for that demand. Um, the problem is I found that when I did some research, I found that the inverse is true also. There are, there are actually competing pages that aren't showing up in the all title results. And so this is what led me to try and come up with a tool that sort of gave better all in title results back.
0: That was one of the yeah, one of the struggles, one of the issues. I, I feel like All In Title got worse over time. It did. And maybe more people were using it and I, I don't know. It seems like a simple thing for a uh, for Google to, <laughs> yeah. to keep working. I right? mean from yeah, just I have a what theory. What's your theory, yeah.
1: So I think with the tools that, that their internal team uses Maybe to do uh, validation on, like, like, they have their sandbox before they push out their big Google updates and wipe us all out, right? Mm-hmm. Before they push those changes out, I think they're doing internal quality assurance kind of stuff. Do
0: you think they do quality assurance? That's generous. <laughs> I
1: think they do. I suspect... i just, just kidding. They, <laughs> they
0: have to. I mean, they're software people. I'm sorry. They, I'm sure they do, but it seems like they don't. I, I,
1: I, I, it's early in the morning. <laughs> My sarcasm radar is off, yeah. so i sorry. <laughs> Yes, no, I think they do quality show. I think they have sandbox and, and, uh, but I think the tools that they have to that, that help their team do their job are maintained. And I'm not sure that they care about this. So they're not maintaining it. Because I think the way it works is just like they have that short index, like we know that when you search a Google term, they're not going to like all 1 billion potential results and looking through all of them every time. They have like this short index or two three four hundred pages and that's always changing of course but they query that and they look at your location and other stuff but my sense and the feedback from other folks in the community is that when you do an all in title they've got a separate mini index just for that but that thing is all decrepit I don't want to say too many expletives here <laughs> but like it's really effed up right so I think I think when you do the all in title, what you're seeing there is stale, basically. and that, That's my theory, but
0: who knows. Got it, okay, yeah, I have no idea. Okay, so you, we are coming up on maybe like five minutes left or so, so talk about SERP Sonar a little bit that solves uh, some of the issues.
1: Yep, thank you. Uh, so it's a free ex- browser extension. Uh, thank you for playing with it uh, a bit and giving feedback. It's very helpful. Uh, It does a whole bunch of stuff. It basically looks at the first 100 results. It brings a lot of data, surfaces a lot of data from the SERP itself, but it also goes to all of the resulting pages and pulls data back from there, the H tags, titles, and, and whatnot. But one of the first things I wanted this thing to do was to be able to look at all of the SERP titles, because we know the SERP titles are different than the page titles. Google rewrites SERP titles. It rewrites SERP descriptions. So the tool, at a glance, will give you the all-in title, both for the original page title and the SERP title. It'll give you an all-in description. It'll give you an all-in URL, and it basically gives an all-in for a bunch of things that you actually couldn't get from Google for the search operators.
0: Okay. Do you run into any issues with um, unusual searches, right? So when Google sees you running a lot of advanced searches, it'll, it's like, hey, what's going on over there? It looks like a bot, right? It looks right. like a bot, which is what your tool is doing, right?
1: Right, so, well, two things. It runs all on the client side, so we're not a, we're not sort of a traditional SaaS. There's no server side anything. So anybody that is running this, they're, they're, it's all happening on their own machine. Um, but at the moment, it's a one-off. You, you do a Google search, you click, click the icon, it runs a scan. Yep. Now, we're about to release bulk scans for up to 100 keywords we're going to try. Uh, fact is, we may bump into that, getting captures or whatever, but okay. uh, we'll see how it goes once we release the bulk scan. Feature.
0: Got it. So who who's a good fit to check out? It's a free plugin?
1: Free browser extension. free okay. Chrome extension. Chrome yes. only at the moment.
0: So who's, yeah, who's a good fit to check this out?
1: Anybody that does... So So my pitch is, it's for keyword and topic research and competitor research. But it's for folks doing content sites, anybody that needs to rank higher in the SERP. But it's, there's also features there for uh, maybe brand managers as well. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more to the tool than, than just the KGR stuff. Oh, I should have mentioned also... At the moment, if you've got keywords everywhere, the very excellent plugin, it's a great tool. yeah, that, you know, that yeah, we love it, and and you're getting the search volume from keywords everywhere. We'll pull in the search volume and we'll calculate the KGR automatically. Okay. So we get the all-in-title number, an accurate one, but if you've got the search volume in there, we also calculate the KGR.
0: Okay, that's all. It saves a huge amount of time. Okay. So, unfortunately, we only have 30 minutes here, so we'll have to cut it short. We could probably talk for hours, and we we did before. Yeah. (laughs) So, where should people find this tool, and where should they find you?
1: Uh, The tool is serpsonar.com, S-E-R-P-S-O-N-A-R, serpsonar.com. So, go there, check out the videos and whatnot, and go to the Chrome store and download the extension. Um, I'm on most of the places, as Jay Paul Hendricks. So find me on Facebook, Twitter sometimes. Um, Yeah, there you go.
0: Cool. Yeah, we'll link up to all this stuff. And thanks, Jason. It's been a pleasure to meet you and uh, hang out. And uh, yeah, people should come to conferences. Like, they're really fun. Everyone's super nice. I've
1: been to a bunch of SEO and digital marketing conferences this year as well. They're they're awesome. Everybody should do what Doug says and come to conferences.
0: All right. Thanks, man. And we'll catch up soon. Thank you.